0: Welcome to Scream, a Scandinavian True Crime Podcast. For any photos or other bits of information from this week's episode or any other, you can head over to our social media accounts at ScreamPod, spelled S-K-R-I-M-P-O-D. Happy Halloween! Woo! Uh, uh... No, I can't think of anything. I was like, what's a spooky thing to say? No, I can
1: Well, I mean, the entire premise of our show is pretty spooky, I'd say. Ooh, fair
0: murder.
1: So, we had some technical difficulties last time we did so we had to shift our upload times a bit and so my episode landed on halloween this year sure did and i wanted to make sure that you all got an interesting case Mm. last halloween we covered witches yes and this year i'll be telling you about a very well-known norwegian case often referred to in the media as the halloween murder (gasps) in oslo yeah (gasps) Yes! (laughs) Oh, I remember this one. It's horrifying. Okay. I I don't think there are any words to describe how Mm -mm. terrifying this case is. Oh, I'm so excited to hear about it. I'm really nervous to tell this, actually. Why? Because it's so recent? Mostly because I want to do it justice. Right. There's been a lot of misinformation in the media, and... I wanted my research to be thorough, and I just hope that I do it justice, basically, and that I'm respectful to everyone involved. Right. Should I start? Let's get into it. I'm very excited. It all started on Saturday, the 29th of October, 2011. This Saturday night started like many others, with around 10 people drinking in the living room of an apartment in Pielestede at 70. It certainly wasn't uncommon for this apartment in Bichlet to be the place where weekend parties were held, although I use the term party loosely. It was mostly a convenient place for free drinks. Hmm. In the apartment lived three close friends. People who attended these quote-unquote parties said that the atmosphere was always light and positive and that this Saturday night was no exception. Free started at around 8 in the evening, and the aim was to go out to clubs later that night. That's how Norwegian weekends work. <laughs> Get as drunk as you possibly can before you have to go out and... Pay for shit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was a normal night, and no one could have predicted the horrors that would come later. Shortly after 11pm, most of those in the apartment left to continue drinking in town. The majority of the friend group went to a club called Lux, whilst 22-year-old Andreas Nilstad Marius Lurken and one of Marius's flatmates went to another club. Although they all had plans to meet up at the same location, this never happened. Andreas had actually dressed up as Zorro, hmm. and for some reason, this meant that he was denied access several places. Well, Lady do Bring doesn't Zoro have a sword? If he had like a massive toy sword, I can see
0: that they wouldn't let him in, I guess. Or maybe the mask. I know that they're iffy about letting people in
1: who wear masks. I'm being very rational. Let's, uh... (laughs) No, but I guess that's the reasoning they would give. Oh. Like, that makes total sense. Like, it's logical. Not too long after they went out, at about a quarter to one in the morning, Marius and his flatmate left the club while Andreas stayed behind a little longer, having just run into his sister. His costume consisted of a pair of tights, which meant he had nowhere to keep his possessions, so Marius, being the good friend that he was, offered to take them home with him. They included his phone, wallet, and keys. And he told Andreas he could pick them up on his way home. Now, Andreas actually arrives back at Marius's apartment only about 15 minutes after the other two. It's late, and his girlfriend was staying at her parents' house for the night, as she had to get up early the next morning so their apartment in Grunna was completely empty. Marius tells Andreas he could stay the night, as he has nothing to rush home to, and this was a very inviting offer, so Andreas gets into Marius's bed. Suddenly the door to Marius' room opens, and a figure moves quickly over to Andreas, who is lying closest to the door. Chaos erupts, but Marius doesn't understand a thing. A man begins stabbing Andreas ferociously in the back and Marius, disoriented from just being woken up, wonders, is it a joke? What's happening? It's so completely unexpected and surreal that it seems utterly impossible. He doesn't really react until Andreas shouts, Hjälp mig, glöken. That's when it finally dawns on him that no, this isn't some elaborate prank. Marius lifts his legs up and kicks the attacker away with all his might and the attacker stumbles into Marius' wardrobe. Marius manages to get out of bed, and standing with his arms outstretched, asks the attacker, what the fuck are you doing? You see, the attacker standing in his bedroom is not a stranger. It's his flatmate. One of Marius's and Andreas' closest friends. Oh. He's not the same flatmate that went out with them earlier. He's the third flatmate who decided to stay home when the others went out because he'd been out the previous night. Right. So the guy charges towards Marius and stabs him right in the chest. Marius sees the large kitchen knife disappear into his flesh. Duh. He feels no pain, his body already full of adrenaline, but he instinctively knows he's been seriously injured. His body feels off and he can't stand upright. He scrambles to get out of the apartment. His attacker follows at his heels. They're on the third floor. As Marius tries to flee down the stairs, his attacker catches up to him and steps him several more times. He manages to get on top of Marius and plunges the knife into him again and again. It doesn't take long for Marius to realize that he's too injured to run away or fight off his attacker. He yells and screams, and luckily, a neighbor on the top floor comes out into the staircase and manages to distract the attacker long enough for Marius to stumble down the rest of the stairs and out onto the street. The neighbor is then chased up the stairs and into his apartment by the bloody young man wielding a knife in nothing but his boxers. Oh my god. Marius explained to Vega that, quote, Whilst running down the stairs, I realized I had problems drawing breath. It can be compared to a very bad cold, when you feel like there's a lot of mucus you can't get rid of. I knew my lung was punctured, and I remember thinking that I had to hold my breath. It was an instinct. There happens to be a silver taxi right outside the entrance to the block of flats. Marius can't tell that it's a taxi, he only sees a silver car. He opens the door to the front passenger seat and all but collapses into it. Taxi driver Asar Munir is shocked, and his passenger, 25-year-old Charlotte from Sweden, is equally so. Asar initially thought Marius was wearing a Halloween costume, and that this was some sort of joke. But when he saw the blood gushing from his shoulder, as well as Marius' cry of help me, I'm dying, he knew it was real and headed straight for A&E. During the drive, Charlotte was on the phone with the ambulance services, who told her it was vital Marius remained conscious. Both Charlotte and Azar talked to him during the drive, and even Marius said afterwards that he was having conversations with himself in his head so as to stay awake. Oh my god. However, during the four-minute taxi ride from the apartment to A&E, Marius lost consciousness. The taxi reaches A&E in record time. There is an ambulance waiting for Marius. During the phone call with Charlotte, it becomes very clear that Marius is in need of urgent specialist care, and so he's sent in the ambulance straight to Ulvol, one of the main hospitals in Oslo. At 2.23am on Sunday the 30th of October, police were informed that two men in boxers were bleeding, and that one of them had a knife. At this point, Marius is already on his way to the hospital. The police were dispatched to the apartment within a few minutes and are horrified by what they encounter. On the glass entrance door to the block of flats, they see the word "Good aka God, written in all caps in blood. It looks like something out of a horror film. It does. They also find the attacker just inside the entrance, lying on his back in only his boxers. He has several cuts on his body and is lying in a pool of blood. The injuries to his neck and wrists were so serious that he received treatment at the hospital for several days. Marius's injuries were life-threatening and extensive. He received stab wounds to his abdomen, head, shoulder, arm, one of his lungs, and even his heart. He had been stabbed 20 times, 15 of which were life-threatening. Oh my god. Marius was in a coma for 11 days and had to undergo a total of three operations. When Marius finally woke up from the coma, he was so heavily drugged he didn't know what had happened to him. He was convinced he'd been in a plane accident or that he'd been injured in the military. However, it didn't take long for reality to sink in. In an interview with Vege, he said, quote, I was hooked up to a respirator and couldn't communicate. When I was strong enough to communicate by writing on a piece of paper, I wrote, Andreas? Ugh. Marius found out that at that point, his best friend had not only passed away, but he'd already been buried. Oh no. It gave him some comfort when he heard that the service had been beautiful, but there was no sense of closure for him, who had not been allowed to say goodbye. Now, the attacker was not interrogated or interviewed for days following the attack due to his medical condition. When he was deemed to be well enough and before the police started questioning him, his lawyer, Harald Stabel, had a brief chat with him. He told him that one of his friends was dead and the other was in critical condition. At this news, the attacker became visibly upset. This young man's identity has been protected by most in the media. There is very little information about him and very little detailed information about what happened that night through his eyes. However, there are some details that have been shared. What Marius and Andreas had no way of knowing that night is that the attacker had slipped into a psychosis. When the others left the apartment at roughly 11pm, this guy left his room where he'd spent most of the evening and watched some TV in the living room. He'd fallen asleep at approximately 1am and later woke on the sofa with intense anxiety. He claimed that God spoke to him. If he killed everyone, he'd save the world. Oh boy. A long court process began. The attacker confessed to what he had done, but claimed to not be guilty. Prosecutors suggested a prison sentence of 16 years. And in Norway, there's a difference between psychosis in the medical world and forensic world. Oh, really? Yes. In the eyes of the law, if you commit a criminal offense while in a psychosis you cannot be held accountable for your crime. A YouTuber I watched who also interviewed Marius löken referred to this as a kind of frikost, that like anything you do while in a psychosis, you kind of let off the hook. However, the question of accountability comes back into play if the psychosis is the result of narcotics. Right. Because suddenly you can become accountable again because it was your choice to drink alcohol or do drugs, and thus your fault that you experienced psychosis.
0: Oh, wow.
1: The perpetrator was assessed by four forensic psychologists, and three found that he could not be held criminally responsible because his psychosis was a symptom of an underlying psychological condition. The fourth believed it to be a narcotic-induced psychosis. I should also mention that if you have an underlying psychological disorder that could make you more susceptible to psychosis, and you use narcotics then it's no longer black and white. How so? Because then it's the whole thing that you should know? or um, It's more that if you use narcotics, it's not automatically your fault. Right, okay. Because I guess it's just a, like a, the question of causality. Like, what comes first in this case? Right. And according to Diekmark, a psychiatric hospital, there are differences between a medical, like more organic psychosis and a psychosis brought on by narcotics, which is useful if you want to distinguish between the two. But the differences aren't so big that they're very easy to assess. (laughs) And perhaps the biggest difference is the length of the psychosis, which it's argued is a lot shorter if brought on by narcotics. Right. But from what I could tell, he wasn't assessed for several days after the attack because... He was physically injured. So that was a priority. Right.
0: But then also, was do you know if he was in a medically induced coma? Not the attacker,
1: now. Marius was. Right, okay. He was in a medically induced coma.
0: Okay. Just in terms of them establishing how long it lasted.
1: Yeah, but he wasn't even questioned by the police for days afterwards. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the psychologists were not in complete agreement, but the majority won. And this is where I'm going to tread, or at least try to, tread very carefully. Marius has many times criticized the media for how they portrayed the group of friends. They were basically referred to as potheads, all of them. That they'd party all the time, like techno rave parties, I read somewhere, drink excessively and take a whole bunch of drugs. (laughs) He says that that's not true at all. And quite frankly, I believe him. Yeah, That being said, I'm not sure if the attacker did drugs that night or not. Mm. There are many reports that say that he smoked cannabis and consumed alcohol, and that may very well be true, but I couldn't find any concrete source confirming or disproving it. And considering the fact that Mario says that there's so much misinformation out there, like, I don't really know what to believe. Yeah. Yeah. One source I found stated that the attacker had admitted to dabbling in different drugs and mentioned specifically amphetamines and weed, but I take all of this with a huge grain of salt. Yeah,
0: not like we have any way of knowing anyway.
1: No, and I don't really think that it's that important. No, it really isn't. I guess in the eyes of the law and maybe to uh, Andreas's family and friends, it might make a difference. Mm. what kind of sentence he gets like if he's criminally Mm. responsible or not but in terms of treatment and all that kind of stuff you'd hope that it would be the same yeah so in the end in 2013 two years after the murder the attacker was sentenced to involuntary psychiatric treatment the conclusion of the court was that due to psychosis this man was not criminally responsible It was argued that even if he had done drugs, he had an underlying psychological condition, which was the source of his psychosis. During the police investigation, it also became known that he had previously suffered from anger management problems and could have experienced psychosis twice before. Once while under the influence of narcotics and another time without. He was also diagnosed with schizophrenia form disorder. hope I pronounced that right which is characterized by psychosis, but the requirements for that diagnosis um, are somewhat more lax than for schizophrenia. Oh, really? Yeah, mostly because to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, you need to have, I think it's a period of six months worth of behavior, whereas for the schizophrenia form disorder, it's one month. Oh, right. Just two months after the man received his sentence, he was allowed temporary release to visit his family. And just a year later, he lived almost exclusively with his parents on their farm. This was to help with his rehabilitation. Mm. And once a week, he was expected to meet with his psychologist. And that was that. Wow. Later that same year, Västerriken, which is a health trust, announced that they believed the man was completely healthy and no longer a danger to either himself or others. In fact, they have been saying that as early as the first week he'd been under their care. That's a pretty bold claim to make. Yes. Many, 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 many people did not agree. There could be no guarantees that he wouldn't experience psychosis again, and that he wouldn't become violent, and there was no evidence that he was, quote-unquote, cured. Right, because how do
0: you cure someone of that?
1: Exactly. And most of the people were just like, well, stay away from drugs and you'll never experience this again. Yeah, off you go. What? Drummond District Court considered both sides, but agreed that they couldn't be sure that the man would not act violently again and so deemed him not to be eligible for release. He didn't appeal and he was still allowed to live as he had done previously. Because, like, I bet even he was like, well, I, hmm, really? (laughs) He has said that he doesn't want to be. I guess let out would be the wrong term because he's not... Techni- he's not. Yeah, he's not technically imprisoned. No, but in treatment. He said that he wants to remain in treatment until he's better. Yeah, geez, good on him. And he hasn't, from what I can tell, he hasn't argued that he should be let out right. earlier. This is just something that has happened automatically. But that's
0: so... Would you have to be the person saying that and you're the people responsible for your treatment are like, no, 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 you're fine. Come on, off you go. Yeah, I don't
1: don't really know what the... What they were thinking. (sighs) Because they were like, yeah, he's he's completely fine, but he experiences a lot of anxiety, especially at nighttime. Maybe that's a sign that things aren't that great. Or they were just nihilists, all of them. But then, you know, you can't just keep someone imprisoned or institutionalized or whatever because they might... Have a psychotic episode?
0: Well, no, no, I agree with that, but oh boy,
1: <laughs> I definitely think that you should ensure that they're in treatment and receive like a close follow up.
0: A hundred percent, especially if that's what they themselves feel like they should.
1: Mm. Mario spent about six months after the attack walking around with dark clouds hanging over his head. He was angry. He was frustrated. He was continuously plagued by nightmares of the horrors he lived through and would analyze every aspect of that night to figure out what he could have done differently. Hmm. He spent many nights contemplating his two choices. Continue on the path that he was, not really living, and him surviving would have been a waste. Or pull himself together. And that's what he said. It was just like Shachteg. Wow. He then met Professor of Psychiatry Lars Byset, who he claims is a real legend, on the same level as Dumbledore from Harry Potter, his own words. So where psychology failed Marius, psychiatry didn't. And it took a long time for Marius to let go of his anger and hatred, and one thing that really helped him, along with psychiatry, was physical activity, which he says still helps him kind of keep it together to this day. Mm. Marius has many times stated that he forgives the perpetrator for what he's done to him. He's forgiven him for all the wounds and scars, but he can't forgive him for taking Andreas's life, and says he'll just have to live with that. And he's also said that a few people have criticized him for this and say that any sort of forgiveness is disrespectful to Andreas and his memory.: Really. Which I think is cruel. That's a horrible thing to say to someone who is probably already feeling pretty fucking guilty that they're the one who survived. It's a fucking horrifying thing to say.
0: Jesus. And, like, you know the people who are saying that have nothing directly to do with the case as well. Hopefully. I just... When he said that, I just felt so bad because... Because he's already dealing with a world of survivor's guilt?
1: Yeah, he's already dealing with all of these other thoughts and feelings, and here's someone who's just adding to it and like nothing he does is right yeah fucking up marius also said that it would have been easier if the perpetrator was a stranger and not one of his closest friends in a comment made to Vega, he said quote, i lost two very good friends i've often wondered how this could have happened and what the real meaning of this was like how much would that shake your fucking world I know that he talks about this a lot and he's been interviewed by lots of different people. Um, if I wasn't so much of a wuss, I would have liked to ask him, ask him for like an interview or some comments. Because mm. like one of the things that I think of is how, how do you trust someone yeah. again after that? I already have trust issues. No one's ever come for me with a knife. Exactly. And he says that he's a super sociable person and he always needs people around him. And I just think it's amazing that it doesn't seem to have held him back, like, in his friendships.
0: Wow. That's really fucking admirable.
1: And as I mentioned before, Marius has been critical of the media for all the misinformation that was spread in the first few weeks after the attack happened.
0: Yeah, because it was, I remember, because it was in 2011, right? Yeah. So I had just moved to Oslo. Oh. And obviously it was a massive, massive news story
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it was all over and it was all anyone could talk about yeah especially like the weeks and months right after and the rumor mill was running hot so yeah I can imagine there was hella misinformation
1: yeah I mean I I wasn't in Norway at the time but uh, my boyfriend was and the apartment that we live in now is two yeah. streets away from where this happened it's essentially your neighborhood. Exactly, and uh he said that when this happened like, he didn't really know until he walked past and he saw he saw the blood on the on the window Ugh. and he saw all the cop cars like the next day, and it was just so surreal, yeah because it sounds like something from a fucking horror movie, and it looks like it too, yeah, the pictures are mm. they're horrifying, but uh back to all the media stuff right yeah sorry Marius basically wakes up from a coma takes a few days to I guess, come down from all the drugs that he's on to like, he's back in reality. He finds out that his best friend has been murdered and pretty much everywhere in the media, they're kind of portrayed as these horrible guys that basically had this coming for them. Like they were horrible people. They were fighting. They were druggies. Can you imagine? No, I really fucking can't. I- and I just think that this is such an extremely sad case for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Andreas had big plans. He wanted to become an engineer. He was going to have a baby. No. Some sources, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm going to include it just in case, um, state that he found out the news the day before he was murdered. No. And he had plans to build a house with his girlfriend in Hemsdal. He was so young and full of dreams and aspirations, and so was Marius, who not only had to suffer through horrendous physical wounds, but also like massive psychological ones. Yeah, he was alive, and his best friend wasn't. And his attacker had been one of his closest friends. Mm-hmm. And then there's the attacker himself, who also seems to be incredibly remorseful, mm. and it's just a tragedy like the whole entire thing is just so fucking sad. It's an actual real life nightmare. It is.
0: It's just uh, it, I... like I don't I don't know what to say because it's just so utterly devastating.
1: It really is. But in the years since um Mario Slukan has managed to do a whole bunch of great things. Mm-hmm. He travels around the country and gives lectures, um seminars. He goes to schools. He tells everyone about what he's been through and what he's learned. He's published a book about his story called En er i Oktober. He's very active on Instagram and he he's very inspirational. Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ to be able to... And the things that he, he posts, this is like, you matter, you are worth this. And it's just amazing. What a fucking admirable guy. Everything he's gone through has just made him stronger.
0: To go through something like that and not not only be able to pick yourself up, but also be able to still have a positive outlook on life and the world and people.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah, I don't think many people no. know. Could have done what he what he's done and what he's doing. Been good for him, man. That's amazing.
0: I'm kind of, yeah, I'm just kind of speechless and in awe of how he manages to have that outlook.
1: I mean, honestly, if you read interviews with him or if you if you watch interviews with him, I was moved so many times. Like, I started crying because... Mm. I can't even describe it. I was just so moved by the story and the way that he told it and his honesty. Because he says, yeah, I was angry. I, I hated this guy. But I still forgave him. Mm. Wow. So... If you want, check him out. He also has a YouTube channel. He doesn't post that much on there. Just a few like promotional videos, but you definitely should check him out.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Wow. What a great guy. I feel bad for being a pessimist asshole.
1: (laughs) I mean, I guess what we should do is just be inspired by this guy and try to live life like he does. Yeah. We have the ability to overcome even things that should have killed us mm, even things that should have killed us 15 times over exactly wow so many things went right that night even though everything also went so wrong like it's it's pretty much a tiny miracle that he survived oh yeah that's a deep quote it's very philosophical
0: <laughs> oh, thank you i can tell you've been feeling very inspired
1: Well, I hope that this Halloween episode um, wasn't too sad. Mm. Um, I think there's something to be learned from this. Mm. And to be honest, it's also a nightmare. Yeah. The thought that this can just happen. I think the fact that psychosis was involved is probably more frightening than if it had been a provoked attack. Yeah. But that's also not to say that just because someone has a mental health problem that they should be locked up forever. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. But yeah. Is there anything you want to add?
0: Um, <laughs> I mean, everything seems very unimportant Uh, by comparison. Fuck it. Let's do like a Netflix recommendation. I finished Living With Yourself. I think I've seen it. Like, I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Not only do you get Paul Rudd, you get Paul Rudd twice. Oh yeah,
1: I that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Double Rudd. Ooh, okay, good. A Rudd double, if you will. <laughs> uh, and Ashling
0: B, who's fucking fantastic. I really enjoyed that. And then I have been to say I've been binging it would be wrong. I just I I, I binged it over the course of a day. Right. Um, Terrace House, which is a Japanese reality show. It's on Netflix and it's really fun. Uh it's six strangers who who move into a house and they are m- m- mostly there to find love. Mostly. And it really makes me miss Tokyo and it's too really hungry because they keep eating nice things and it's just it's great. And it's been really fun to like watch something Japanese that I've actually been interested in. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Cause I can kind of kind of like noticed that some of my vocabulary is coming back and stuff and that's fun yay it's nice to at times feel like three years of japanese studies wasn't a waste of time and money yeah and i don't get that feeling a lot so when when, when it shows up ooh, i cling to
1: it <laughs> what about you have you watched anything fun well not fun but something that i wanted to recommend mm. um tell me who i am Ooh, i
0: saw the trailer no I, no, I didn't see the trailer, but Netflix uh, sent me a little notification today ah. recommending that I watch it. Uh, what is it?
1: It's a documentary sort of thing. It's um, devastating, so I wouldn't recommend watching it after you've listened to this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give anything away, but major trigger warning for child sexual abuse. Okay. But it's worth the watch. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult watch, but you should watch it. Right. Well, I yeah, like you said, probably not for right
0: now. Um, but
1: I'll keep it in mind. And then I also wanted to mention the fact that we now have a donate button on our website. Oh yeah. So if you want to, you can head over to screampod.com, and there's a donate button on the top bar. I think. No pressure. It's just there if you want to support us. And as always, if you want to leave us a review. Preferably nice.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, if we're going to be choosy about it, I'd love a nice one. Uh, We have gotten some nice ones lately, and it's made me very happy. We've gotten some not great ones as well,
1: but we don't talk about those. No. 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 (laughs) I mean, we talk about them extensively, but we won't talk about them on here. Don't worry. Mm -mm. (laughs) No, we handle those like adults, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But yeah, I hope that you have a nice Halloween, a nice spooky Halloween filled with many treats, scary movies. (laughs) Yes. I guess that's it for this week's episode. Until
0: next time, bye bye.